radio for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Welcome to another episode of Agile FM. Today I have a uh, very special guest today on my show. This is uh, Lee Hansen. And Lee is um, actually a CSD. I'm a PSD, so here's something interesting, right? Certified Scrum Trainer uh, is Lee Hansen. He's known uh, as the Agile Dad. He is out of Utah. We met recently on a user group event, and that's another thing that connects us. He is very, very active in the user group community. I myself here in New York. Uh, he's more out in, in Utah. Uh, we want to talk about Scrum today. How is that? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Joe. This is just an amazing opportunity, and I really appreciate it. I, you know, it, it's, it's such a – the interesting fact that you just brought up about being a PSC versus a CSD, what I'm finding more and more of now – I was personally trained and mentored by Ken Schwaber, but one of the things that I find is yeah. that I'm starting to see a lot of alignment between the belief systems and structures of a PST and a CST and how it all kind of fits together. And I think that our goal, you know, ultimately is to help uplift the Agile and Scrum community. So I feel like, you know, we're both uh, cut from the same cloth. And it was just such a pleasure and privilege and honor to meet you with Agile New York City. And I'm happy to be part of your presentation today. Okay, this is awesome. And uh, if, we're, if we're just thinking like the, the Certified Scrum Trainer community is working off the Scrum Guide. PST community is working off the Scrum Guide. So we're working off the same guide. There should be some similarities, right? Absolutely. And I think oftentimes one of the, one of the things, you know, and, and this is a great topic of conversation for today. One of the things that we see, and, uh, you know, I approach everything from a psychology-based background because that's where my education lies. And one of the things that I see is that more and more in society and in business that people are looking for ways to divide us instead of bring us together. We're trying to build walls instead of building bridges. And I just feel like it's unfortunate because there's so much opportunity for us to grow and learn from each other. And mm -hmm. I think that if we don't take advantage of those growth opportunities, that it's, it's harming the ultimate community as a whole, as opposed to helping enrich and uplift us. I totally agree with you here on this one, right? I think together we are stronger. Uh, I think together we have a better story uh, to tell. Um, it's different assessments. It's a different group behind it. But hey, who knows what the future is going to bring. I'm just happy that the Scrum community is growing and uh, possibly even more so in difficult times, which doesn't surprise me and probably you doesn't, doesn't surprise you either, but it's, uh, it's, it's here to stay. And uh, I think teams with Scrum might navigate through difficult times like right now, possibly more successful than, than others. But before, I, uh, before we continue with our, with our topics, if you want to... Uh, also, a little shout out here because you're running your um, daily stand-up podcast, which is uh, a podcast you do on a daily basis. Now, Agile FM has many, many years of uh, broadcasting um, and lots of lots of guests, but I could not even imagine doing this on a daily basis. You're doing this for 10 minutes every day. I think it's a genius idea. Uh, so uh, if you're interested in a, in a daily piece with Lee, just uh, stop by and use that one. This is with a guest. This is you as the guest. Um, and uh, so this is a different format, but there's a lot of good things out there. And I think the podcasts also show there's a lot to explore out there. So I'm super happy to build uh, bridges here as well. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about Scrum. And uh, one of the things you you mentioned, and maybe that's our starting point, it's, it seems so uh, normal to start this way, is when you started your uh, presentation, 
a few weeks ago, that was in summer 2020, right? Um, one of the things was your your childhood, and I don't know how much you want to reveal, but it's like, let's say, just as a bare minimum here, and obviously this is a, I'm trying to make this sound better than it, it was, it, it was, could have been better, right? Uh, so there was a lot of hurdles you had to overcome. And I want you to possibly just like present your speak, uh, to, to the listeners here on this podcast, because you're also a motivational speaker. And, uh, and this is, I think, people will realize what kind of things you overcame. But I'm also interested, how did you end up with Scrum? And that's a good question, Joe. And you know, it's, it's so interesting because one of the things that I frequently talk about is that the key issue, or I, I guess I should say one of the biggest issues I see in the community is that when people fail or organizations fail, oftentimes they look at that and they try to blame Agile or they try to blame Scrum and they say, you know, that, that's what happened. That's why we failed. And they don't learn from their failures. And I think that for me, one of the critical or pivotal points that make me the person that I am today is the hardship that I had when I was uh, growing up. So in a nutshell, without going too deep into detail, um, you know, I was born and raised in New Orleans or Nolens, if you're from there. So if at any point you hear me say, just say, para information en espanol, marque número dos, and I'll come back with something. Uh, but I went to 12 years of a Catholic school, you know, I, I was and, and the reason for that is kind of what triggers everything. So I was a Caucasian child growing up in a very low income community in New Orleans. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of friends or a whole lot of people who were like me. And what wound up happening is there was a lot of disruption, a lot of fighting uh, and, and physical fighting. And I needed to find a way to get educated, to get out of this community. Uh, my grandmother in her infinite wisdom had me bus to another community, uh, which was great. But one of the conditions of me going to this private parochial school was that I would serve them as an acolyte or an altar boy. Things didn't go my way there either. We had um, a religious community that cared more about the individual, the boy, than they did about the, the religion. And it, it just wound up being a really bad way. But uh, I was born 14 days before my mother's 15th birthday. You know, um, mother had a drug addiction, father left when I was one, or just before I was one. Uh, grandfather gambled away most of our savings, you know, as a family. It, it was just a really, really rough beginning. And one of the things that I remembered, and one of the things that it brought me to realize is that sometimes when you're in your most broken down moment, when you're at rock bottom or when you're near rock bottom, those are the times where you find out who you really are. Those are the times where you discover if you have the strength to look at this and say, okay, I didn't create where I am today, but I can control how I feel about where I am today. And I think that's the big difference. Too many times we go through life, especially here in the millennial years where we have millennials and uh, Gen Zers and other people who are looking at COVID or looking at the opportunity where we are today and saying, you know, this pandemic has caused me to be this way or caused me to feel this way, or this person has said something hurtful and caused me to feel this way, instead of looking at it as an opportunity for growth. Mm -hmm. And I think that what, what led me down the path, so to fast forward a little bit, what led me down the path to get to Scrum or to get to Agile was early in my career, you know, I studied uh, communications first. I ended up meeting some folks from eBay and ended up working pretty early in my career at eBay, which was really a blessing in disguise. But 
I took one of the very first scrum classes from Ken Schwaber, and it was quite by accident. So this is a fun story and probably one that I haven't told publicly, Joe. So you're going to be the first place that I share this story. So here we go. So, uh, so I was at a hotel in Washington uh, where I was scheduled to take a PMP class. And I was having breakfast in a hotel lobby, and a gentleman came down and sat with me. And uh, he says, are you here for the project management course? I said, I am. He says, I am too. Do you mind if I join you? I said, no, go ahead. So uh, he introduced himself. I introduced myself. We shook hands. And it was a buffet-style breakfast. You know, they had the little table set up with all the different things you could choose. And I sat down with my plate, and I had some fruit on my plate, some sausage, some eggs. We were good to go. And uh, this gentleman sat down across from me, promptly unrolled his silverware, and said, so tell me, you know, how did you get started in project management? What did you know? As he reached across with his fork, stabbed a piece of pineapple off of my, place and began, uh, off of my plate and began to eat it. Uh, so I was just like, okay, this is weird, but yeah. I let it go. Uh, so then uh, I answered his question, and he kind of nodded. He says, okay. So um, I picked up a piece of sausage, and I bit off the end of it, and he asked me another question. He says, so tell me. He says, you know, um, what made you decide to take this PMP course? And he reached over, broke off the piece of sausage that I did not bite off of, the end that I didn't bite off of, took that end of the sausage and ate it. At which point I looked at him and I thought this guy was really strange, but maybe he was from a different culture. Yeah. I said, you know what? I said, I said, you can have this plate. I said, I'll go ahead and get myself another one. I said, it's a buffet. I'll be right back. So, and he died laughing. And he says, uh, let me introduce myself. He says, you know, he says, my name is Ken. He says, and uh, he says, I'm here to teach a different course. He says, the course that I'm teaching is a scrum master course. He says, I don't expect you to know what that is because it's still pretty new. He says, but I would love to tell your story in class. He says, but I need you to be a participant in class to do that. He says, will you give up taking your PMP, which was a five-day boot camp, mm -hmm. to come to my two-day scrum certification class? He says, I guarantee you from a project management perspective, you're going to get more out of my two-day session than you would out of the five. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And he says, you know what? He says, here's my deal. He says, if you're not completely happy with what you learn, and if it doesn't change your life, I will pay for you to fly anywhere in the world and take the PMP. Wow. I said, you know what? I said, that's a deal. I said, let's do it. Wow. So I had three days to tour Seattle. I took his two-day class. It was a brilliant, it was a life-changing experience. I mean, Ken was just a master teacher. He was just a good person. He wound up being my mentor for a number of years. And wow. that's sort of what kicked off, you know, my, my growth there. But I do remember one thing that I want to bring up too that was really interesting. On my manual that I got for the class, he had a printed manual and the, the cover of his manual said, quote, it's about common sense. It's about common sense. And yeah, and, and, and even back then, that was the cover of his manual. Mm -hmm. And when I thought about it, you know, the more I think about it, the things that I love most about Scrum, about Agile, is that 99% of the time, making a decision based on what makes the most sense for an organization is the right decision. Right. You know, if we rely heavily on what the book says and we use a real dogmatic approach, if we're relying very heavily on, you know, Scrum for Dummies or Agile for Dummies or whatever, choose your book, you know, not, if you're just pulling out the book and saying on page 76, it says we shouldn't do this, right. you know, you're, you're going to fail at that approach. Yeah. You need to have a more pragmatic mm -hmm you know, common sense, humanistic, psychology-based approach in order to be successful. So, uh, and I think, you know, just to bring it, yeah, go ahead. So what I, what I, mean, I was going to say to bring it full circle. It's all about to bring value. full circle. Yeah. Exactly. It's all about value, right? And uh, you're thinking about value. So you got in two days, you got more out of it than in five days in the other course. 
So you had three days of sightseeing in, uh, in Washington, but I won <laughs> DC, I guess. But um, the interesting thing is I, I have traveled quite a bit. I have not met a culture in this world where you can eat off somebody's plate and that's perfectly okay. Uh, so somehow that's, I think this is a, a global thing. It's kind of, but he probably did that for shock value as I would uh, expect him to do. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Exactly. So, and that's just, that's how Canada's built. Yeah. I was just saying, that's how Ken is built. That's, that's just one of his things that he does. He loves to, when you, when you engage with Ken, and I have on a number of days, a number of times, one of the things he loves to do is he loves to help you think outside of the box. He loves to push you just outside of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I love about Ken and his approach is that he will always force you to think differently. And uh, I, I, I literally feel like that's what inhibited my ability in the past to be successful that helped me take it to the next level. It was that ability to apply the principle of grow, mm-hmm. to be able to say to myself, you know, okay, what is the goal? What am I trying to achieve? What's my current reality? Where am I now? What opportunities or options do I have? And then the big one, the one that Ken emphasized is, what will you commit to do? You gotta commit to do something first, you gotta make a decision. Right. And I think that was the one that had the most impact on me because I yeah. find that now, especially today, people really struggle with making those decisions. Yes, you're absolutely right. So, so this was just to, just to make sure, this, this was your exposure to Scrum, this was your entry into the community, that buffet, that breakfast? That buffet, that's it, that was my entry. It was yeah. baptism by fire. <laughs> oh my God, this is funny. So um, just, just connecting the dots a little bit with your, with, with all those things, and I mean, some of those things are just simply awful what you went through and I feel for you, right? Um, what is it you got out of this Scrum community once you enter there, right? So it's gotta be, it's gotta be obviously a, a changed experience, your education that followed, you, you got out of the area you wanted to get out, so congratulations to that, you achieved a lot of things, right? Um, but then obviously you entered the, the agile community and what is it, what is it that kept you in that community, right? Because that's a, that's a different thing. That's a, you know, how, you know, some, some people who are not making that transition, but that seems like a very, very different kind of community that you were raised in. Yeah. So for me, you know, I didn't know what direction it was going to pull me, honestly, when I was going through high school years and growth years, you know, even early college. You know, I knew I wanted to do something to help other people because I didn't want to feel the pain that I felt. And I didn't want anybody else to feel that same level of pain either. You know, I just realized that there was a lot more to life than always feeling bad about your decisions or feeling sorry about choices that you made or feeling, you know, and it wasn't a self-pity party for me. It was just I wanted to help people not have to feel that way. So I originally went to school thinking that, uh, so I I originally pursued a broadcasting communications degree, thinking that would be a great platform for me to do a radio show or do a television show and be able to talk to people about these types of issues so that we could have a a platform to speak about things that, you know, promoted radical candor, that promoted speaking about things that you may not be comfortable speaking about Mm -hmm. and maybe giving people an outlet. But what I quickly discovered was that in order to be qualified to do that type of thing, that I needed some type of credential that supported that. So I I went back and said, psychology has to be the road that I'm on. And through that psychology-based approach, you know, I had a lot of headway or headwind to push me, you know, in the right direction. But at the same time, it was, it was pushing against me 
saying this is going to be a lot harder than anything you've ever done before. Yeah. Uh, in the long run, as you mentioned, you know, it took a lot to be the first person to graduate from high school, the first person to graduate from college, the first person to have, you know, any type of professional certification, first person to own my own business and my family, you know, uh, first person to own my own home. You know, it just really took a lot of, you know, building blocks, but it didn't come without a price, you know? Uh, I, I went through lots of, how should I put this? I know Toyota and Cubby both tell a story about the no factor, right? And how many times you hear no, and how many times you have opportunities slam the door in your face and say, you know, this isn't the right time. Uh, and how hard it was for me to make that transition into Agile. But once I got there, and I wanna tie this back to the original thought, once I got there, what I realized was there was a reason that Ken took food off my plate. And it, it, it's, a, it's a twisted reason, but it was a good reason. And what I learned was that it wasn't about, it would have been real easy for me to just tell him off. Like you said, there's no community in the world where it's okay to do that, right? Mm -hmm. It would have been easy for me to just say, hey, go away, right? But instead, I handled it differently, right? Because at the time, I was in a place mentally and spiritually where I wasn't gonna put up a fight. I was just gonna say, you know what? This isn't the way I would have done things, but let's figure out a new way. And immediately what Ken told me was that he knew that that made me a good candidate for what he was trying to teach. Mm -hmm. Because he was trying to teach people to approach business differently. He was trying to teach people to look at a new approach to doing work. And uh, if you think about it that way and take that into consideration, it does marry, it does make sense, it does tie together. But I think what kept me here, there's, there's three things that have kept me here. The first thing is the community. I have never met a certified scrum trainer, professional scrum trainer, or any other level of coach that I've had disaccord with or disagreement. It's just we're such a good community. And the, the bigger piece of that is that I always learn from those individuals, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, they always have something that they can provide a value to teach me. And I always look for those opportunities to learn. The second thing that kept me in a community is that I learned very quickly that there were so many people who worked for large companies or small companies, but a lot of large companies who hated going to work every day. Mm -hmm. They felt like they're every day to go to work, that something was sucking away their will to live, that they, that they couldn't connect with what they were doing. Oh, yeah. And that there was just this loss. Mm -hmm. and, and it was frustrating because I, I wanted to be a catalyst for change. I wanted to be a catalyst to help. And, you know, I wanted to help create these work experiences and environments where people would love to go in and do what they do. And I think that, that was probably the second piece that really kept me engaged. And I think the third piece is uh, the reward at the end. And what I've seen is just that you know, whether it's giving a free military class for people who are transitioning out of the military or whether it's uh, helping people who are first responders, you know, do things in a certain way or whether it's helping uh, some pharmaceutical companies who are working on a vaccine for COVID, you know, helping them accelerate that process. You know, whatever it is that I do, I can see that there's, you know, a great reward at the end of the tunnel, not necessarily for me, but yeah. for humanity. And I think that's the piece that really hooked me in. When I saw that I could leverage this as a tool, you know, I call it my version of psychiatry with no drugs. So it's psychology, right? It's just a psychiatrist writes prescriptions, a psychologist doesn't. And I, when I looked at it that way, I said, this is my way of writing a prescription. 
to help organizations behave better so that their people can love what they do more. I mean, it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing that you're so, you know, understating what you actually have done, especially if you say, I'm happy to be in the community. You shaped the community, as, at least in Utah, right? So uh, you have, um, I mean, seriously, so you're, you're invested in the community, you, you do stuff and uh, you keep um, one of the largest, if not the largest uh, group together in, um, in Utah and, and, and then help them and support them. So what, what's super interesting is, and yes, I totally agree with the happiness at work, right? If you, if you go into work every single day, I mean, obviously there are some um, uh, exceptions, you know, geographics, et cetera, right? Uh, but yeah, there's gotta be moments of happiness somewhere, right? So you, you, not everybody is going to be happy at, me included, at every single day of work, every single day of life, but there's gotta be, the, the happiness has to outbalance the, the unhappiness to some extent, right? Uh, you're spending a good chunk of time uh, at work, so why not making it a pleasant experience and the reward? But what I, where I want to go with you is what I think is remarkable with what you went through as a, as a person uh, prior to your exposure of getting your food eaten by somebody else is uh, it's, you, would, you would think that somebody goes to the other side, let's say whatever that is in this case from, and says, I just don't want to be associated with the other stuff anymore, which, which you did. But on the other side, you would be like, let's just leave me alone. I just want to make lots of money. I just want to, I just want to be selfish and self-centered and do all these things. And uh, you're the opposite. So why, what is it you're, you're giving back tremendously? Why is that? You know, I think it ties to a couple of things. The first thing is I am a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm a man of faith. And one of the things that I always say, and it's a quote that a spiritual leader told to me, and this was the quote, they said that the only time you'll ever find yourself is when you lose yourself in the service of others. So if you can lose yourself in the service of others and find ways to serve your community, uh, you mentioned the local Utah community where I helped found Utah Agile. I, I helped facilitate and keep running uh, the original meetup, which was the Salt Lake Agile Roundtable which was the one, by the way, where the manifesto was fed from. So that's kind of interesting, right? When you think about it, it's been that long, right? Mm -hmm. The group that wrote the manifesto were all part of the Salt Lake City Agile Roundtable. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just, it's really interesting to see from the foundational level what happened. But when it talks about, you know, expanding that and being at service and saying, hey, you know, uh, so here's another example. You know, I could have easily just said, you know, I want to run with this because it's a great income opportunity. But uh, one of the things that we do as part of Agile Dad is 10% of any registration for any type of class or program or coaching or whatever you do goes towards a charitable cause. It goes towards a local battered women's shelter, a local you know, a program to help youth who are overcoming challenges or whatever the case may be. We always look for something as a way to give back. And I think that that's so important because what I found is the more I invest in these opportunities to give back, that the more return I get overall holistically, uh, which is rather interesting because I stay busier by being engaged than I do when I'm not engaged. So it's, it's one of those things where if I engage with these local communities and local charities and local things, it helps formulate and helps me grow. But you're absolutely correct, Joe. The first thing that I wanted to do when I got my first big client, uh, so I've serviced 43 of the Fortune 100 clients. And when I got the first one, my very first thing, I turned to my wife, I said, sweetie, I said, I want a new car. 
right? And she's just like, why do you want a new car? Your car is perfectly fine. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. I just need to have something. So my initial turn and my initial response, because of the way I was programmed, was to look for materialistic things because I'd never had those things before. So for me, it was like, you know, that was a natural progression for me to show, hey, this is who I am. Look at my status. But, you know, what I quickly learned, you know, with her help, of course, with her guidance, was that those things weren't as important to me as what I originally thought they were. You know, the, the, the places where I found the most growth were when I saw opportunities where someone came to me and, and I'll never forget this. Uh, so here's another quick story. I love these. So uh, I was teaching a product owner class, a certified scrum product owner class in Atlanta. And there was a gentleman who came to me and uh, he was a disabled military vet. And he had, uh, you know, double amputee. He had been affected by an IED in Afghanistan. I mean, just really good guy, but he had severe PTSD. Mm -hmm. uh, he was having trouble finding a job because when he heard certain sounds or certain trigger words or certain things, he would start swearing. So it was just one of these things where it was real hard to put him in a position, especially right. facing anyone. But, uh, he, but he came to me and when he came to my class, he said, Lee, he says, my friend recommended that I take your class because I said that you're my last hope that if you can't help me find a job, nobody can. He says, and I'm prepared to come to your class. He says, um, I'll pay you $5 a month. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> he says, I'll pay you $5 a month. He says, I'll pay you $5 a month until I can pay off this class because that's what I can afford right now in my budget. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, don't worry about the $5 a month. Just come to class. Come and get this certification and let's see what we can do for you. And I'll be darned if after taking the class, you know, after giving him a little bit of guidance with his resume, getting him the certification that he needed, helping him understand how to serve others, and finding something that he had deep inside of him, which was a great ability to understand people, a great ability to understand their needs. And his ability to be a product owner was just off the chart. And he not only landed an opportunity, but ended up over time launching his own product. And ultimately, he's a millionaire. He became a multimillionaire from launching a product, an app. And it, but it all started at a humble, product owner beginning and I have a class at a CSPO class. And, you know, I can't promise that for everybody, but what I can tell you is that when you take time to invest in people holistically in their lives and get to understand who they are and what they value, one of the first things we do in every class as part of our introduction is I ask people, tell me something interesting about you. Tell me something that has nothing to do with what you normally do at work. Mm -hmm. And what we find is some people enjoy riding motorcycles, some people enjoy fishing, some people enjoy whatever it is. And, and, and it gives you something that personifies and gives you personalization of who those individuals are. Right. And I think that when you start to understand people at that more personal level, that that is what starts to form the foundation necessary mm -hmm. for you to be able to have the success without worrying about all the other things around it. You know, yeah. there's, in Joe, there's only three things really that you need in life to be successful. There's three things you need. One is that foundation I was talking about. You need a firm foundation, something to believe in, whether it's a faith, whether it's a people, whether it's your family, you need something. The second thing is the one that's the most confusing for people. You need a story to tell. Now, when I say a story to tell, I'm not just talking about uh, a story about something that you've done successfully. Yeah. I'm asking... What, what would your, what would, if you had the ability to have great grandchildren, because I know some people, you know, aren't blessed with the ability to have kids, but if you did, what would your great grandchildren say about you? 
what legacy are you leaving behind? Are you doing something that's going to be so impactful in the world that it's going to make a difference? Or are they not even going to know your name? Right? So when I say have a story to tell, I want to know what people are going to say about you 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now. Are you doing something that's going to leave a legacy behind? Mm -hmm. And then third, you have to have a dream. And it doesn't need to be, and a lot of people confuse this. It doesn't need to be a dream that, you know, I'm going to be the first person to walk on Mars. You know, I mean, that's great, but it, you need to have a dream that's achievable. Mm -hmm. And you need to build on those. And I find that that's where most people stumble. Yeah. They, they, they set their goals extremely high and they fail. And then when they fail, they try to blame them on themselves or on other people or on Agile or whatever the case may be. Mm. And it's just so interesting to see that cycle, right? Yeah, so what's also interesting is right, so that person that attended your training might not have had at that time a dream yet because obviously it was a different place in, 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 you know, in their lives. But, uh, and that's, I think that's what's interesting is the person turned into a multimillionaire, right? And but we don't know if that person applied Scrum or not, whatever that did. But apparently, this training did change something in his career path and had an impact very similar to yours and probably similar to mine. You know, like I think everybody has these moments entering the agile community until it's forced on you, unless it's forced on you, right? But what's interesting is that that path, right? I think this is what you said earlier about common sense, right? It's like there, there is a path we're taking which is unpredictable upfront. There's something that leads you from one stepping stone to another. There are certain things that are, and it's just the interesting part about this process. If somebody would come out, it's like, you go to this product owner training, and seven years later, you're going to be a multimillionaire. It's just like, it's not reality, right? It's not common sense, right? So, right. Um, and I think that is the interesting piece of, uh, of Scrum. Now, don't, don't tell me that that person had a Gantt chart with a plan to become a multimillionaire and did that. Please, and, uh, did, did he? No. <laughs> no. You know, it was part of his work breakdown structure, I'm telling you. It, it, no, no there, there's no way, right? And there's no way you can predict those things. And I think the empirical process for me is what makes Agile and Scrum specifically so powerful. Mm -hmm. It's that ability to have experience, right? Small experience. And then once you have that experience, inspect adapt, be transparent about what happened, be honest about what happened. You know, I always say use the force, right? If you're a Star Wars fan, use the force. The five values of Scrum, focus, openness, respect, commitment, and extreme courage, that's F-O-R-C-E, right? Yeah. If you use those five values and you apply them in your personal life, that's where you're gonna see, you know, those opportunities to make those small pivots. It doesn't need to be, you know, and I think that's the other approach. You know, too many people try to turn it up to 11 too quickly. You know, you don't need to do that. I just want to see you go from one to two or from two mm -hmm. to two and a half. You know, I just want to see you make small incremental changes because those are the ones that are going to last. You know, if, you, yeah. if you're trying to do it all at once, it's just going to come and go. Mm -hmm. But so, so what's interesting, uh, the, and I hope, I hope uh, this person came back to you at some point and at least made a donation in the amount of the course fee uh, for a good cause uh, after that person turned multimillionaire. But um, I hope because of the $5 installment plan didn't happen, right? So, and you did change that person's life to some extent. So that's good. I had a, a person on the podcast maybe two years or so ago. Um, uh, Larry Upke uh, was his name, and he also gave something uh -huh. back to uh, 
people in the job market who have a hard time finding a, a like transition in the in the market itself, right? So he gave back a lot to the community. I think I was out in California. Is that something? Are you revisiting New Orleans at all? Are you um, are you on that path of thinking about there is something I want to do beyond, let's say, where you are currently locally, uh, community-wise? But is there also something you want to be like? You want to change something in the the life of possibly people who are in the same shoes as you were several years ago? You know, there's always something, and. Gosh, that's that's a big question because I, I definitely want to make those changes for people. But one of the things that I've learned, and th this came the hard way too, is that sometimes when you give someone something for nothing and they're not invested, they don't value it as much as they would if they have some minimal investment in what you're trying to do. In the case of that veteran where he could only afford $5 a month, Providing that for him for free so that he could have the comfort of not spending the last $5 of his discretionary budget was the right decision. Right. But uh, as with Larry, I know Larry as well, brilliant mind. Yeah. Uh, but with that being said, yeah, you know, if, if I could have some type of, if I could rewind and say, you know, where was I seven years ago or 10 years ago and what would I do? You know, I don't know I've done much differently, but I do know that I think one of the transformational pieces for me was really you know, understanding, and, and this is the hardest part, and this was the topic, by the way, for Agile NYC, mm -hmm. understanding that failure didn't break me. Failure didn't make me a lesser person. Failure didn't make me, you know, differences didn't make me bad. Uh, you know, whether it was ethnic diversity or cultural diversity, my background, my spiritual background, none of those things changed. You know, it didn't matter what, what religion I was, who I voted for in the last election or the current election, you know, uh, what, you know, what, what, what my thoughts were on certain topics, none of that mattered. But I think what I needed to understand myself, and I think that if I could do something transformate transformational to help the community grow, which was your original question, I think that, you know, the first, the first step. I've already done. And that was, I said to myself, if, if I would have had some type of guide, but not a guide that was, uh, how should I put this? Not a guide that was a process, but a guide that was a framework, a guide that it wasn't just check a box. Did you do number one? Yes. Okay. Check the box. Did you do number two? Yes. You know, it wasn't that type of guide. What I wanted was more like a 12 step program, but not just any 12 step program. I wanted something that forced you to have introspective. It, it would force you to rethink, you know, where you were. And this is something that I didn't have, that if I could change and do it sooner, I would have done it a whole lot sooner. Mm -hmm. But now that I've done that, I honestly can tell you that that document has had more impact on people who've approached the Agile community than any other document, because it doesn't start out with do this, do this. The first step of the 12 step is to ask, quote, you know, uh, why did we choose to do Agile? What, what is Agile and why did we choose to do it? What are we trying to change? What are we trying to make better? What is our approach? Do we have some type of vision or strategy or goal? Mm -hmm. What are we trying to do? Why are we even trying this, right? And I think that, you know, that question, and, and by the way, all of the 12 steps are formed in that type of format, like a question. Mm -hmm. it, it forces you to have that introspective moment where you have to understand if you don't know, well, or if you just say, you know, I, I don't know why I'm doing it or I'm doing agile because the other company's doing agile. Yeah. It, it doesn't give you the legs. It doesn't give you the legs to stand on, right? You need something that's going to force you to think about that foundation. 
And then number two, just, I'm not going to go through all of them, but number two is, you know, set realistic expectations and goals for leadership so that they have a clear understanding of what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that that forces you to have that radical candor conversation about creating an environment of psychological safety, about what types of things are going to change, about what direction we're going to take things. But it doesn't specifically give you, you know, step-by-step check-the-box instructions. It just mm-hmm. says, did you think of this? Did you think of this? Did you think of this? And, right. and when you take that type of approach to your implementation, that's going to help you quite a bit. Now, i got to be careful, Joe, because one of the things that I said is when I create three things that change the Agile community, I was going to leave those as my, my contribution and that I was going to go off and uh, do one of those but in sand, feet in water, cold drink in hand retirements where I just lay on a beach somewhere and uh, sip on a cold beverage. But, you know, uh, but that was number one. That was the first one I did. The second one was, uh, so the second one that I did was I was looking for a way about a different way or a different approach to handle mid sprint or in sprint interruptions. You know, what can we do to handle those? And I talk about the importance of reducing or eliminating technical debt or any debt that you have outstanding and then come in and you know creating a way to take care of those right uh, and we put together a program we call the team John uh, but but it's just it's a really interesting approach to taking care of those those types of things and then third I did something called rapid release planning but 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 those were the three pinnacle pieces that I put together as my puzzle to mm-hmm. say hey this is the impact that I want to leave behind these are the three places where I see people aren't paying enough attention mm-hmm. and I think that Joe with the big with the big shift to scaling lately because a lot of people have been talking about less safe right. uh, you know Nexus you name it right DAD that that I'm seeing that shift but I don't think many organizations are prepared to make that shift they don't have the fundamental pieces there yeah. so it's it's one of those things where you know I, you know I love to start with Hey, take a look at this and see where you are, you know, but I, but I think people try to run before they understand where they're running to or what they're running for. And that's why I'm not a runner. Yeah. (laughs) This is awesome. This is a really great conversation. Uh, This would be five. This was, this would be a week's worth of uh, the daily stand up uh, podcast because we've been going for a while, but uh, uh, you do those in 10 minutes. We spend a little bit more time here today. And I want to really thank you for sharing some of your thoughts. It's, it's the safe, the less, the deaths, and everything like this uh, is for another podcast, I guess. Um, but um, I really i am super happy that you're in a good place. And I think uh, everybody can hear in your voice how positive you are. And uh, based on where you came from, fantastic. And the community and everything, it's just a, an absolutely wonderful story. And uh, keep telling it and keep uh, presenting at these user group events because there's so much to learn. I want to thank you. And thank you. And if I could just leave you one closing thought, and this is a quick one. Uh, you know, I always try to leave with an inspirational thought. So here it is. You know, it's our responsibility to take the fabric of our story and intertwine it with the fabric of other people's stories to create a beautiful tapestry called life. It's time for us, no matter where we are in our lives, it doesn't matter where we are, how old we are, where we are in our career, you know, what we need to do is take off the glasses and the things that blind us and the things that force us to think, you know, with a single threat approach, we need to take off the blinders and we need to look at the world and say, I'm going to look at people and I'm going to find what's best about those people and I'm going to emulate it. We need to stop, 
you know, looking at people, you know, with injustice, with inequity, with, you know, racism and other things, we need to stop letting those outside influences affect us and just look at people as beautiful, wonderful individuals and find those character and quality traits about them that we want to emulate. And I think that if we do that, we all together can make the world a better place. And I just want to say, Joe, you're, you know, you're, speak, you're speaking and you're taking the opportunity to bring me on. This is an excellent opportunity. If you haven't listened to the rest of the series that Joe's created, you need to go back and you need to listen to as much as you can, because I'll tell you what. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It, it's, it's a little longer than 10 minutes in most cases, but what I can tell you is every single time, there are pearls of wisdom there. So Joe, you've been just Absolutely. such an incredible leader in the Agile community. And, and I, can't, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to spend with me. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Lee. And uh, wonderful closing words. And uh, good luck with your podcast. And we'll, we'll talk soon. We'll see you. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.